Well, as I said earlier, we are very excited to be kicking off this Advent season with an important topic of hope. A few weeks ago, as many of you know, I kind of found myself in the hospital and in a lot of pain and struggling, and I was really grateful to have received an email from Dr. Groteis, who is with us today and will be giving the message today, and he had offered to preach uh, one of the Sunday messages. And Dr. Olson had already stepped in for this upcoming Sunday after that accident, and I asked if he would be willing to kick off our Advent season message on hope, and he graciously agreed. Uh, Dr. Groteis actually has been here before, uh, about eight years ago, if, if your memory stretches back that far, and he was here in 2013 and preached a message at that time, and I'm really excited for him to preach a message to us today. For those that might not know who he is, uh, Dr. Groteis received his Ph.D., in philosophy from the University of Oregon. He is a professor of philosophy at Denver Seminary. Before his time at the seminary, he served as a campus pastor. He has been featured in many scholarly journals and popular magazines, such as Christianity Today, the Gospel Coalition, and the Christian Research Journal. His writings have been uh, have been published in a variety of academic journals like Religious Studies and Sophia. And of course, Dr. Groteis has been the author of many books, of which are Walking Through Twilight, Unmasking the New Age, and Christian Apologetics, A Comprehensive Case for Christian Faith, which serves really as a monumentous work to many of those that are pursuing Christian apologetics. And that's really how I came into contact with Dr. Groteis was when I signed up to be a student at Denver Seminary back in 2013, which I think is actually the same year he came and preached here. And um, I remember first meeting him at the seminary school. I was deciding to transfer into his program, and he warned me of all the woes of, of going into apologetics, and that if I hang that degree outside of my door, I might not get a knock and serve as a pastor. But thankfully, God had some other plans, uh, both for me and my time at the seminary. And I think through his work, he has inspired many men and women to understand and articulate their faith well. In a world that has oftentimes um, pushed against the Christian worldview and the narrative that we see through the Bible, I'm thankful for Dr. Groteis in being able to defend the faith well and help those who are hungry to learn and seek out truth come into contact with it. So at this time, would you give a warm welcome to Dr. Groteis as he prepares and gives our message today. Well, greetings in the name of our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm happy to be back. It's been some time since I've been here. And I'm very blessed to be able to help Kevin. Kevin is a good man. He's been my student. He still owes me a paper. But um, he is also my webmaster and a friend. And I was so happy when he was able to become the pastor of this church. When uh, Pastor Kevin asked me to preach on hope, Immediately, two scriptures came to mind. One was Romans 5, 5. This hope does not disappoint us. What hope is that? We'll see. 
And the other is Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a joy fulfilled is a tree of life. How do we use the word hope? Advent is a season of hope. It's a season where we look back to the birth of the Messiah. We consider the achievements of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, but particularly his coming into the world, his incarnation. And then also historically the church has looked forward. We consider the first coming and we consider the second coming. So we look back to past facts and we look forward to, if you will, future facts. What exactly is hope? Hope is the desire for a favorable outcome that involves waiting. Involves waiting. We don't hope for what we already have. And there's a sense of anticipation in hope. Sometimes it's a joyous sense of anticipation. Sometimes it's very anguished. But we need to put our hopes in the right place. And that's where the gospel teaches us how to hope and to hope in him, in Christ. So let me talk about several ways that we hope as human beings. Let me take this out of the way. Sometimes we hope for things actually that have already happened. We hope for something in the past and we hope that it has been the way we wanted, although we have no power to change it because it has already passed. We don't know what happened, but we wish something to be a particular way. We may really hope that a friend or a loved one knew Christ before he or she died. I can certainly vouch for that with my own father who died long ago. So it's an unknown fact, but we have some hope that it will be the way we want. And then sometimes we hope in the sense of there's something future that's still possible, but it seems to be a really small chance. So for example, I have a good friend who is battling prostate cancer, and things are not looking good for him. But we still have some hope that the Lord would supernaturally heal him, or maybe an experimental cancer drug would work. And then we have other kinds of hope where there seems to be a pretty good chance, and we're very eager for our desires to be fulfilled, such as, I hope to get this job, or I hope to be accepted at this school, Or I hope a relationship would be restored. My wife and I are dealing with that right now. We really want a relationship. We're hoping that relationship will be restored. And of course, we're all hoping for an end of the pandemic. And I think we can say with that, hope deferred makes the heart sick or even the body sick. I want to talk about the process of hope. How does hope work itself out? And then we'll come to these passages in more detail. So this is the first one. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Sometimes our hoping is really drawn out. And there's a lot in scripture about waiting on the Lord. 
Waiting on the Lord is not something passive, it's actually something active. We're seeking God. We're hoping for a desired outcome. Sometimes and very often our hopes are dashed. It may be something small, like your hope in a sports team, I say small, Uh, your hockey team, your baseball team, but in the overall scheme of things, if your team doesn't win the World Series or the Super Bowl, it's not the end of the world. But there may be hopes dashed for major events, such as, as I mentioned, a good friend uh, who has cancer, and I'm still hoping, but you wonder, or the death of a loved one, or the death of a career. We hope, we hope, we pray, we pray, and often things don't work out. Our hopes are dashed and our hearts are sick. With hope, we do find many times satisfaction. So where ought we put our ultimate hope? That's the question. This hope does not disappoint us. What is that hope? You can have a confident hope. And I thought here of Luke 2 of Simeon. Let me read this passage. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's hoping, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So he knew there would be a Messiah, and the Lord specifically told him that he would not die until he saw the Messiah. So he's waiting in hope. Then he sees the infant Jesus, and he cries out, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. That's Luke 2, 29 through 32. I don't have time for it, but there's a similar story of a wonderful older woman, a prophet named Anna, who experienced the same thing. She was worshiping the Lord, hoping for the Lord, and she saw the Messiah. She saw her Lord. So we have with Simeon and Anna a hope that did not disappoint. God honored the promise And they beheld their salvation, who would also be the salvation of the Jews and the Gentiles, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. But so often we are disappointed. We hope and our hopes are dashed. We are sometimes bitterly disappointed. And we are tempted to become, in fact, embittered because of that bitter disappointment. But the good news is that there is a hope that does not disappoint us. Someone we can count on and trust in. A longing can be fulfilled, which is the tree of life. So let's look at Romans 5, 1 through 5. In this great book of Romans, the Apostle Paul has explained the plan of redemption, how sinners, those alienated from God, Jews and Gentiles, can be forgiven and restored through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is not ashamed of the gospel, he says, in chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, because it is the power of salvation 
to all who believe. The gospel gives us a well-grounded hope. Neither should we be ashamed of the gospel because we have a hope that will not disappoint us. And so many people are without hope and without God in the world, as Paul puts it in Ephesians 2. So as we come to chapter 5, Paul writes, first of all, in verses 1 and 2, of the status of the believer, which is the ground of hope, and the benefits of the gospel for the believer, verses 3 through 5. So let's look at verses 1 and 2, justification through faith. And I'm using the New International Version. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We have been justified, meaning if we have placed our trust in the work of Christ, we are made right, we are brought into alignment with God through the mediator, through the achievements of Jesus Christ. God's righteous righteous anger against us has been taken away through Jesus Christ. Because when Paul writes Romans, he sets up a problem, the worst problem. How do sinful people relate to a holy God? And he says that the wrath of God is revealed against unrighteousness. But then there is the answer. God himself comes in Christ to die for us, to take our place, and even to take our own punishment vicariously. So we start in this consideration of hope, thinking about our position in light of what God has done through the Lord Jesus Christ, made known to us through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is our position, our status. We are citizens of heaven by virtue of the heavenly achievement, the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ. We are no longer lost sinners without God and without hope in the world. We, and also, we have been given benefits because of our status. So let me talk about peace. The apostle says we have peace with God. There is no more rift between God and ourselves on either side. That is, God's righteous anger has been addressed through the work of Jesus and our sin has been taken away or expiated. Atonement has been made. Peace is the result. An end of hostilities. And the primary understanding here of peace is not so much our feeling peace, although that flows from the reality. It's that objectively we are at peace with God, an infinitely holy God, by virtue of the sacrifice of Jesus, which we receive by faith. So we objectively have a restored and right standing with the God who created the universe, who is perfectly holy, righteous, and just. So a beautiful passage from Isaiah 53 explains what's in Paul's mind. This is a messianic reference. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. 
Our sins are blotted out. I love this verse from John 1, 29, where John the Baptist looks at Jesus and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So now for the believer, there's no problem with God being against us in the sense because we're sinners. God is for us and he showed us that through Christ. And if we accepted that by faith, our sins are taken away. Our hostility to God is taken away. And the rift between God towards us has been taken away. Both. So we have peace with God. This is received by faith. It is offered as a gift of grace. It is not achieved, but received. We have a secure position and an open relationship. It's not just that we're declared a citizen. I'm using some other of Paul's language from elsewhere. We are declared to be citizens. We have peace with God. But it's more than that. We're welcomed into a family. So think of someone who becomes a naturalized citizen. The analogy is not perfect because you have to do certain things to be a naturalized citizen from another country. But when you are declared a citizen of the United States, that doesn't mean that you are welcomed into a family. You may be, you may not be. But when we are declared righteous through the righteousness of Christ, we are not only at peace with God and become citizens of heaven, we also are welcomed into a family relationship and we have access to God through the Holy Spirit. And we can have a clear conscience before God based on his own work. And I want to read a quote from a biblical scholar of a previous generation named Charles Hodge, a man who taught Paul's epistles for over 50 years at Princeton Seminary. He says this, the enlightened conscience is never satisfied until it sees that God can be just in justifying the ungodly, that sin has been punished, the justice of God satisfied, and his law honored and vindicated. That is all that Christ does. There's so much that he did, his achievements. It is when he sees justice and mercy embracing each other in this way that the believer has the peace which passes all understanding, the sweet quiet of soul. So without the work of Christ on our behalf, we tend to do one of two things, or both things. We don't know a mediator. We, are, we have not been justified, so what do we do? We try to justify ourselves by saying, well, I'm not so bad, or I'm not as bad as other people, or I've done a lot of good things, or I'm basically a good person, so I must be on good terms with God. Well, God is infinitely holy, and through the works of the law shall no one be justified. So we might say, well, we're not so bad, and then we deceive ourselves. Or we might say, God's not so strict. So we bring down God's standards, or we try to raise ourselves up, and this involves what the Bible calls the deceitfulness of sin. But we can have a clear conscience before God, knowing we're sinners, knowing God is infinitely, perfectly holy, and knowing that there is a mediator who atones for our sins, justifies us, welcomes us into his family, into the body of Christ, the family of God. So we can be very honest with ourselves and take all of our sins to Christ, past, present, and future. Now, it's interesting that our text says that we can boast in the hope of the glory of God. 
This is not idle boasting about oneself or about one's achievements or one's brand. And I think of Proverbs 27 too, let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, an outsider and not your own lips. In an era of self-promotion, this is a little stinging, isn't it? Let someone else praise you. However, we can boast in God, in the salvation that God has brought. But how can we wisely boast in hope? How can we put our hope in the right place? Well, see, this hope is different than the hopes of the world. It is so secure that we can boast in it. Our faith involves a hope that is based on the work of God himself in Christ to justify us. So biblically, this idea of hope is not, well, maybe, I hope, I wish, like hope could be, probably won't be, but I'll hold out the possibility. The way that Paul uses the word hope here is in terms of certainty. It is future. Our redemption, our total redemption is future. We're justified now, but we will be glorified one day. It is future, but it is certain. That's how scripture uses the word hope. Hope based on fact. So in this, we may boast. Paul has a number of passages about boasting, but here's a famous one from Galatians 6.14. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. But that's worth boasting, boasting about. And I wonder how often we do this. Do we ever say to friends, I am boasting in the salvation I have in Christ. He has justified me. He's given me access to himself through the Holy Spirit. And I know that one day I will rise. He will call my name. I will rise with all the saints. And I know this as much as I know anything. And I boast because what other God could do this? No human being, no human institution, no plan, no project could ever achieve what God has done through Christ as revealed in the Bible. I boast in the Lord. We should practice doing that. So this boasting is not conceited or cocky or presumptuous as we so often see in the world of sports and politics and so on. It's based on the word of God. So let's go on to verses 3 through 5. The benefits of the gospel, hope in suffering. We've already talked about the benefit of being justified and being forgiven. But let's go on to verse 3. Not only so, not only do we glory in the hope of God, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame or you could say does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So he says, even more. He's saying, now, how can we find hope in suffering, in trials, in 
difficulties, whether they're emotional, physical, whatever they are. How does this work? Well, suffering is really the ultimate test of a worldview and of a human being. So do we know how to rejoice, glory, be happy in the Lord? And can we somehow even glory in our suffering? Yes, we can. Because this suffering is not pointless. It produces perseverance or patience under affliction. We keep hoping in the Lord. This hope is certain. This builds character, the tested metal of our being, our consistent orientation to life. And it produces hope. And it's interesting, this passage uses the word hope twice, once before it talks about suffering and then once after it talks about suffering. So the way I understand this is that there is a hope of the gospel that everyone can have in Christ. And then through suffering, we can develop even a deeper, greater, more profound hope. Let me give you an example of this. I really went back and forth in my mind if I should share this or not, but I think I should. The last time I was here, I almost didn't come because the night before, my first wife, Rebecca, got lost driving and she didn't know where she was and we had to call the police and it was a horrific several hours until we found out where she was and where we, when we picked her up. And I was so upset. I had gotten very angry, worried, you know, hoping we need to find her. Where is she? What's going on? How could she get lost? We've lived here for 20 years. And I actually called the previous pastor, Pastor Davis, and I said, Pastor, I am completely devastated. I, I can't come and preach tomorrow. And I've never done that before. He said something that was very wise, which completely disarmed me. He said, well, would you think about it and get back to me tomorrow morning? And I just knew immediately, okay, I'll be there. And I came, and I preached, and I think it was clear and good. But why do I mention that? Because about a year later, we found out that my first wife, Rebecca Merrill Grotheis, who had been a writer, an editor, a singer, a poet, so many things, had a terminal form of dementia called primary progressive aphasia. And through that, we suffered a lot. I won't go into all the different types of suffering, but through that, I'd never been through anything like that. It taxed me to the limit. Uh, this brilliant woman lost her ability to speak and eventually to do everything and she passed away in July of 2018. So through that, nevertheless, the hope of redemption was profound for us. The hope in this life was not very strong. It was, Lord, make me a good husband. Help us to find the right doctors. Please give us the right caregivers. And we had some doozies. Please give us the right caregivers. Please, Lord, don't let the money run out. I was so worried about that. I didn't. But I would often comfort Becky by reading scripture to her, particularly from Revelation 21 and 22, about the glories of the new heaven and the new earth, where there is no curse, no tears, no pain, and we are there face-to-face -face with the Lord in a restored, 
creation in resurrected bodies. And I would read that to her, and I would read 1 Corinthians 15, the glories of the resurrected body. And I remember once we went out to eat, and I proposed a toast, and I said, to the afterlife. Because the rest of her life would be extremely difficult. But we held on. Because why? God was holding on to us. And I had spent my entire adult life trying to understand the meaning of Christianity and defending it against criticisms from atheism, from Islam, from Buddhism, from Hinduism. I had taught the truth and rationality of Christianity for over 40 years. And Rebecca, Merrill Grotheis, and I knew too much to go back under suffering. And in that day, in July of 2018, I knew that it was not only a body stopped working, but someone had left to be with her Lord. I was certain of that. It didn't take away the pain, but it put the pain and loss in a very different setting. So suffering produces or generates perseverance, character, and hope. This is a special type of suffering. It's suffering in the Lord. Now, we can talk about suffering over illness and accident like our dear pastors experienced. We can talk about suffering for doing something wrong. We can discuss suffering because of our faith. We're persecuted in some way. But this simply says that in our suffering, we can gain, we can gain perseverance, character, and hope. I'd say the deepest hope that comes out of the crush of suffering, where we are tested, and through the Spirit we come through it. We can boast in our suffering only because we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So to recap this, we are justified through the work of Christ, made right with him. We're not outlaws anymore. We're not at odds with with God. We have peace with God, no hostility. So we can have hope, a certain hope a kind of hopeful suffering based on God's revelation. We can have the kind of hope that Simeon and Anna had. So think of this from Proverbs 13. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. Anna and Simeon had a longing fulfilled in seeing the Messiah. We look back at Christ and consider his salvation And then we look forward to anticipate the second coming, the restoration of all things, the new heavens and the new earth. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but Jesus is the doctor for our heart sickness, and he will fulfill our joy as a tree of life. Let me read you another quote from Charles Hodge. I read his commentary on Romans and found it so profound. This hope does not disappoint us. It does not put us to shame, to the shame of disappointment. The hope which true believers entertain will never disappoint them. However, the basis of this assurance is not the strength of our purpose or confidence in our own goodness, but the love of God. And what's the ultimate proof of the love of God? The work of Jesus Christ to atone for our sins, to justify us. 
to welcome us, not only as citizens, but as family members. Boasting in what is uncertain is foolish. Where should we put our hope? We, so, we see so much arrogant boasting in sports. We may boast about our own achievements. Uh, I, I thought back for some reason way back uh, to this famous event where the communist leader Nikita Khrushchev was at the United Nations in 1960, took off his shoe and banged it on the podium and said to the rest of the world, or probably specifically to America, we will bury you. Some of you may not know about that. He was so sure that the communist program would go forth and overwhelm the non-communist nations. We will bury you. Well, Nikita Khrushchev is buried. And the Soviet Union is something of the past. It was false boasting. It wasn't boasting in the Lord. This hope does not dis disappoint us does not put us to shame because it's based on the work of Christ and is made known through the Holy Spirit. So let's think about this for a minute. God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The greatest gift of all is the gift of the Holy Spirit because the Spirit gives us faith, the Spirit gives us joy, the Spirit gives us perseverance, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. And here, we are not engaging in wishful thinking. We don't have to work up faith and hope in ourselves. We submit to the Holy Spirit, walk in the Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And he brings these things to our awareness and helps us to persevere and develop character, develop hope, even in our struggles and sufferings. God's love has justified us through Christ and God's love will use suffering for our good in his timing. And eventually he will completely restore this broken world according to his promises. And the Spirit tells us this. The Spirit guides us. So we should not grieve the Spirit or quench the Spirit, but walk in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And basically you simply ask. We ask the Lord, Lord, send the Spirit into my life. Guide me, teach me. In my sufferings, help me not to be bitter, but faithful and loving, and find as much meaning in the suffering as I possibly can, and always looking ahead. Even Jesus. Jesus despised what he had to go through, but he endured it because he saw the joy that was set before him. After the crucifixion comes the resurrection, the ascension, and then the glorious second coming. Let me read another commentary. Though the faithful are now pilgrims on the earth, they, by hope, scale the heavens so that they quietly enjoy in their own bosoms their future inheritance. The Spirit can make real to us what has happened through the death and resurrection of Christ for us, our justification. And we have hope in the midst of our suffering and that we look ahead to that great joy of the new heavens and the new earth, the resurrected world. So at this Advent, as we begin our season of reflection and worship, we have to realize that we are creatures of hope and even prisoners of hope. I get that phrase from Zechariah 9.12. But our hope in the gospel 
will not bring us to shame. It will not disappoint us. Advent offers hope for broken families, for psychological problems. It even offers hope for reconciliation with enemies to find peace. We have peace with God, so shouldn't we try to be at peace with our neighbors? We have hope for a better world, and we can be so grateful to the Lord that this hope does not disappoint us. The ultimate hope will not disappoint us. Many other hopes will disappoint us. Or we may have a hope that a relationship will be restored, and it is, and we're so grateful. But with those kind of things, there's no guarantee. What we are guaranteed is the greatest possible thing you can imagine. And that hope will not disappoint us being with the Lord, being with all of his people, being in a resurrected world. That gets us through the suffering because the suffering produces perseverance, character, hope. This hope will not bring us into shame. Jesus is the doctor for our sick hearts. Hope deferred makes the heart sick but a joy fulfilled is a tree of life. This is a unique category of hope. The object of our hope is objectively real, and our hope is warranted. We can know it is true through the witness of the Holy Spirit. So even in our sufferings, we have a certain hope. So as we celebrate Advent, let's remember the greatness of what Christ has done and the greatness of what Christ will do and realize and rejoice and boast in the fact, glory in the fact of this salvation, this justification, this hope, which will not disappoint us. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for your revelation in Christ this Advent. Thank you for the revelation in Scripture that makes this truth known to us. Lord, we we boast there is no God like you. There is no Savior like Christ. There is no book like the Bible. There is no way to live like the Christian life, where even in our sufferings we have hope and meaning. So, Lord, make us faithful servants. May we be patient under affliction and ever hopeful and glory in you and the truths of the gospel. And Lord, may we never be ashamed of this gospel, for it is the power of salvation for all who believe. And we know, Lord, apart from you, there is no hope. So Lord, may we be people of hope, stars shining in the sky. We pray in your name.